0: Creative Babble. Okay, I just pulled up to a KFC in North Carolina. Let's see if they've heard of the notorious prank calling hoax. I wanted to know, do these employees even know that this kind of stuff is even going on? So I walk into this KFC and I order a couple things.
1: Oh my god!
0: I saw the weirdest thing on the news the other day. Yes. Have you heard about that Frank caller that's calling the, the fast food restaurants, acting like the police? That he's like calling managers, telling them that like a customer stole the purse or an employee stole the purse, and making him like go into the back room and all that. You never, you haven't heard that? I don't know what oh my god, it's crazy. It's just a prank caller, and he's like, like, maybe him do all sorts of weird stuff in the restaurant. Oh, my god. You haven't heard of it? No. Oh, my God. I happened to be speaking with the manager. She had never heard of this. Heard of then, I go to a Wendy's in Georgia. Have you ever heard about like, those prank callers that call, like, Wendy's and, like, McDonald's and stuff? And, like pretending to be cops. Have you ever heard about that? No.
1: Yeah? No, they probably have. Oh, I do yeah. do no shit. We, we country. We ain't doing nothing like that. You got The police come here. We, we don't even comply with them half the time. I'm serious. We some hard country girls. We all do it right
0: here. But except for her. uh, police wouldn't make you do that, though. You know,
1: they ain't gonna make us do nothing in here. We all women, we have to protect each
0: other. That's right. Yeah. Uh, what flavor uh, do you
1: want, darling? Oh, um let's do chocolate.
0: Okay, a chocolate and No one I spoke to had heard of these pranks. Finally, one manager in North Carolina had heard of this prank. Have you heard about like that prank caller that calls the McDonald's and talks to the managers and pretends to be the cop?
2: Yeah, we've
0: we've heard about it, and we're told like if they call, call the art uh, owners. Oh, really? Good. Yeah. Good. So we luckily hasn't here happened. I remember I was here one night. It did happen, and we c- told our
1: owners about
0: it, and they said don't give them any information. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Because so they made people do some stupid things. Yeah. Like yeah. they'll say like the cops are out
2: on their way or something. Before.
1: Oh,
0: good. Last time on Pretend, I told you about a series of prank calls targeting fast food restaurants and other businesses that took place in a period of 12 years. A caller pretending to be a police officer instructed fast food managers to strip search female employees, forcing them to jog naked, do jumping jacks, and other humiliating acts. More than 70 of these calls in the United States and pretty much nobody, nobody was doing anything about this. It became obvious that fast food employees like the one that I spoke with had no clue that this was happening. And the police were completely unprepared to track this guy down. 12 years and this pervert was just out there getting away with it. Today, I'm gonna tell you how this story came to an end and about the detective who stopped at nothing until he found his suspect. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else. Fellas, when was the last time you treated yourself to a nice pair of underwear? I mean, seriously, my entire life, I've been wearing the cheap underwear from big box stores. And boy, have I been missing out. I discovered Mack Weldon Basics for men, and there's no going back. They are super comfortable and made out of insanely soft material. It's also made with silver, so it's naturally antimicrobial and eliminates odors. Unlike the cheap underwear you've been getting at the store. And it's more than just underwear. I bought undershirts and the best sweatpants ever. I'm pretty much spoiled. Shopping online was super easy too. If you don't like what you ordered, you can just keep it and they will still refund you. No questions asked. Mac Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you'll ever wear. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com. That's M-A-C-K-Weldon.com. And enter promo code PRETEND. Before we start looking for the bad guy, I want to talk with one of the managers who picked up one of these calls. I wanted to know what exactly did this fake cop say that was so convincing that would make someone break company policy and disregard a person's privacy just because someone in authority told them to. So I tried to track down one manager at a time. And as you can imagine, not a lot of people wanted to talk about this. And I get it, it's embarrassing, but one manager did answer my call, Alan Mathis.
1: Yeah, I am the guy that picked up the call. Yeah, I was
0: at work. This is Alan Mathis. He's also one of the managers who picked up the call one night at a Hardee's restaurant in Rapid City, South Dakota. I wanted to know, had he ever heard of one of these pranks before? As a manager managing this Hardee's restaurant, were you ever warned that these kind of prank calls were happening?
1: No, not at all. So there were a bunch of them that took place before me then?
0: Yeah, oh they, yeah. There were oh yeah, there were a bunch that took place oh. before you. Alan received the call in June of 2003. The earliest calls were reported as far back as 1992. Do you feel like if you would have been warned about these calls that you would have been better prepared?
1: Oh, yeah. That would have never happened.
0: And and you paid you paid a serious price for this prank call right
1: and I'm still paying I still pay it never goes away but come out in the paper I lost my job that day I couldn't get financing on my house that I just bought it was in the process of buying and my pickup blew up all on that same day then besides that I spent $50,000 on attorney fee and couldn't hardly get a job because of it. Everybody looked at you like you sex pervert. I also lost a girlfriend up in Deadwood because
0: of her mother-in-law had heard about it. What did the caller make him do that was so bad? The charges against you were pretty serious, right?
1: Well, yeah, it three felonies. So like, yeah, two rape charges and a kidnap. I was in jail for 40 days. I was throwing in hardcore where I got my life threatened and, then, and you know, cause I wouldn't buy them candy bars and shit or whatever, you know, I wouldn't be their their man, I guess, whatever. Well, so I, I got out of there a few days later with,
0: with my life. So let's go back to 2003. The night that Alan was working at that Hardy's restaurant in Rapid City, the phone rings. It's 7.38 at the tail end of the dinner rush. What happens when you pick up the call? Well, he picked up the
1: call and he said, this is the police department. You know, and we make complaints that somebody, uh, one of your employees, stole money from a customer. Like, really? How did that happen? You know, and then they they go in, you know, you can come down, you can come down to the police department or whatever, or you can perform, you know,
0: a search there. The police officer, quote unquote, gives you an option and and you give that option to this employee,
1: right? I gave her the option and she chose to, to stay there and have me search her.
0: Because it kind of makes sense, right? Like, she doesn't want to involve cops. She just wants to get this out of the way, right? Right. And then I, and then I turn into the bad guy with the felonies. A bad guy with felonies. This phone call is going to cost him two second-degree rape charges and one kidnapping charge. He could face 25 years in prison and a fine by the time he's done with this call. Alan, who was 52 at the time, takes a 19-year-old employee to the back office. Prosecutors say that Alan kept the girl locked in the office against her will. And they pretty much had a slam-dunk case against him because it was all caught on surveillance tape. Alan Mathis orders the girl to strip naked, run in place, and do jumping jacks. At one point, the caller tells Alan to take the girl's clothes and put them in her car. What was he saying that was so convincing that made you believe that he was someone of authority?
1: Just kept reiterating that he was... And he almost seemed like, I don't know, like he had a camera there, like he was there watching me backed off and I wasn't going to do something, but he knew it.
0: And if you didn't do something that he wanted you to do, was he angry or was he calm? I don't I don't think he was
1: angry. He would just he would express his authority again, you know, firm firmness. I don't think he I don't think he became angry.
0: You say he was really good at this, right?
1: Oh yeah. Because if he, he would have become angry, I I think that would have been a flag.
0: Because police, they don't get they're very unemotional. They're very uh black and white. And and so you said that this lasted for two hours. Explain to the audience because like two hours that that seems unreasonable.
1: Um all I can say
0: is he did
1: just a little bit of a time. It's kind of like telling a joke, you know, and you can tell it in the short term or you can stretch it out forever. That's kind of, yeah, we could have boom, boom, boom and had it over with. But I think that then he he had his method and he, he stretched it out as long as he could
0: what was um you know what was the the final straw because this went on for two hours but what was the thing that he asked you to do that that you're like whoa this is too much he wanted
1: he wanted me to check her cavity and i was like no 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 no
0: no, no." and just like that the trance was broken
1: maybe my assistant was knocking on the door or something and finally opened the door and said boom you
0: know i'm done Another employee enters the office, gives the woman a jacket, and gets on the phone with the caller. Then Helen bolts right out of the restaurant.
1: I went down to Hardy's the next day, I met with law enforcement. They took me to jail. In jail I called my lawyer. He come and talked to me. He basically told me that he fucked up idiot. <laughs>
0: So your own lawyer even said you were a fucked up idiot?
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Basically. Wow. And then the next night it happened at Perkins. And then he came back in and told me he owed me an apology.
0: Alan tells me that he did feel like a fucked up idiot. How could he fall for this? But like he said, the next night it happened again. The same caller called the Perkins store right across town. And, you know, Prior to this call, did you ever have any dealings with the law? No, none. And even after this call, did you have any dealings with the law?
1: No, I have not.
0: The, the point is that you probably could have gone your whole life without ever facing, you know, any criminal charges against you had you not picked up that phone that night. That is correct. A jury acquitted Alan Mathis of all charges. His record is clear, but it's not like none of this ever happened. It still haunts him every day. For example, 16 years later, I'm calling him asking him to relive this night, but he said,
1: The more you get it out, maybe the more you can let it go.
0: Obviously, the real victims here are the young ladies who were violated by their superior. But what do you guys think? If you were a member of the jury of Alan Mathis' trial, would you have acquitted him of the charges, or would you have found him guilty? Send me your thoughts on Twitter or Facebook. I'm curious what you have to say. I wanted to know how law enforcement handled the managers who communicated with the prank callers. So, I called one of the detectives who worked on a related prank call case.
2: My name is Victor Flaherty. I'm the chief of police now in West Police Department in Massachusetts. At the time, in 2004, I was a detective sergeant in charge of a multi-jurisdictional task force.
0: Tell me about, like, your opinion on, on the managers. Do you, do you kind of see them as a perpetrator or, or a victim? No, I
2: I think the way we dealt with it here and and with our local DA's office, I was pretty much uh, focused on the fact that they're all victims because, I mean, they didn't, did they do this willing and with intent? They, I mean, so they didn't do this willing. They were instructed to do it. So from the person answering the phone to the strip search individual in my eyes and what I was able to. I'm not convinced, but able to relate to the DA's office here is that they're all victims and we got to we got to treat them all like that.
0: You know, you were a detective on this case. How did you first learn about this? When we had into that at a Wendy's um, fast food restaurant here. Westbridge is a town 25 miles south of Boston. That
2: night, there was four identical uh, calls. One to our Wendy's here and three more to surrounding communities. First time I've ever heard of this this type of uh, hoax going on.
0: And I would imagine that the first time you heard about this that you thought maybe this is some some kid maybe locally that's making these prank calls, right? That's exactly what it was. I thought it was a, a just an a
2: incident that's happening in one place, you know. So you think it's local. You know, you think it's a local thing and then um talking with other detectives, they just they called me and asked me about you know, they heard that we had one here and then there was four of them. I said, okay, that's still local. Um, but then they, we started looking in on the internet and
0: finding that this has been going on for a long time. The incident at the Wendy's West Bridgewater restaurant was typical of the other calls.
2: The manager was a female and the woman, the girl working was a female and it got to the point where she, they was instructed to take all of her clothes and put them in her
0: car. I would imagine that you've seen a lot of very wild things in your career, Um, but to have somebody as a store manager, a superior to an employee, um, do a strip search like that, um, that had to have been a first for you, right? Oh, no, absolutely.
2: And and what I couldn't understand when I conducted the interviews is why didn't they call the local police department? why did they pick up the phone?
0: But what was even more baffling to Detective Flaherty back then was that even if these managers did call police nothing was going to happen because nobody was doing anything about these calls this caller was just getting away with it
2: i couldn't understand that there was nobody that had looked into this a little deeper but i I can't answer why no one was looking into this and and after i started the investigation i understood why no one was looking very very hard tracing this stuff back is not easy it's very time consuming Um, Some of these departments were one or two man departments. So, I mean, I can see how
0: difficult it is to, you know, look into these things. When we come back, we're going to find the suspect and it's going to make your head spin. You know, there's a lot of buzz about CBD nowadays. It's been proven to alleviate pain and inflammation, as well as anxiety and depression. But did you know that not all CBD is created equal? I discovered Hemp Fusion. Hemp Fusion is CBD plus omegas and trypenes to help you feel better. I just got my shipment of Hemp Fusion and I'm loving it so far. So get yours today. Go to hempfusion.com, promo code PRETEND to get 20% off your first order. So how does one find the prank caller back in 2004? It's not as easy as you would think. And so what was the first thing you did? You know, back, we're talking 2004, so technology has come a long way in 15 years. Right. So in 2004, we did something what you call a reverse listing. A reverse listing. Let's say I call your cell phone. At the end of the month, my number will show up on your cellular bill. Your bill should show a list of incoming and outcoming calls.
2: So I did a reverse listing on the Wendy's restaurant. The number just kept coming back to a switch, a switching computer, spitting out this 1-800 number and and it didn't make any sense. So it was an AT&T
0: switching box. So I picked up the phone and called um, AT&T. I've called the phone company to try to reschedule an installation appointment and it took me an hour. So I can't imagine trying to call them to track down a random 1-800 number. But Detective Fluttering kept trying over and over. He tried for days.
2: And after days and days of talking to people that really didn't want anything to do with me, I happened to
0: uh, fill out a subpoena for records on this switching box. But one day he tried again. This time he found the right person working at AT&T. I picked up the phone and I still remember
2: the woman's name. It was Michelle. I got somebody that cared. Somebody that was really probably a hard, hard worker very you know professional and
0: i just kept asking her questions and she says i don't know the answer but i'll get it to you the woman at the phone company figured it out the 1-800 number was coming from a calling card
2: and at that time you know that's what everybody used and when they wanted to hide their identity they didn't want you to know who's calling you know what i mean organized crime Um, The low-level drug dealers, everybody was buying these calling cards. So I asked,
0: okay, how do we identify the calling card? Each calling card has a unique activation number. In order to find the caller, Detective Flattery needs to figure out the activation number. After filling out dozens of subpoenas and waiting weeks, Michelle at the phone company was able to get a reverse listing on the calling card. So I finally was able to identify it, that this is the
2: card that actually did it. So now we have this card and I said, okay, well, where was the purchase? And, they, and she goes, well, we can't, I don't know where it was purchased. I like, go, what do you mean you don't know where it was purchased?
0: Because AT&T doesn't do we have, we don't track that. Without knowing where the card was purchased, he will never be able to track down the prank caller, but he's not giving up. There had to be another way. I'm looking at stuff here that since September
2: 11th, attacks in New York, that all calling cards are tracked. Hmm. She's
0: like, what? I said, I'm reading it that they're tracked. So Michelle at the telephone company goes back and starts digging. And after a few days, she gets back to him. She
2: goes, they are tracked. I was able to find out that they were sold in Walmart in the Florida area. But that's about as close as we got at that point.
0: In any Florida area? Or just Florida in general? Florida, that's all he told me at first. That could be anywhere. Yeah. In order to track down the calling card to a particular store, he needs the card's pin. I know this is very technical and I hope I'm not boring you, but by the end of this, you too will be able to track down a prank calling pervert. But seriously, this is a lot of work just to find out who this guy is. Long story short, Detective Flattery was able to trace the calling card PIN to one particular store. Pointed that
2: PIN number was scanned, several were scanned in the Panama City Walmart. So then I asked, OK, well, when was it scanned through? So she sends me back the printout. I got it right in front of me and it says 3 a.m. And I'm looking at like 3 a.m. That's going to be easy because who's, you know,
0: who sees 3 a.m.? This is perfect. How many people could possibly go to Walmart at 3 a.m.? Finding this guy should be easy peasy. Actually. So I call one of the Walmarts. Now I'm going to track down some of this video.
2: And I call the Walmart and I said, yeah, they said it went at 3 a.m. She goes, well, we're not open at 3 a.m. What are you talking about? I got this receipt right in front of me. It says it's, you know, 3 a.m. She says, well, we're not open. So there's got to be something wrong. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh.
0: It turns out that Walmart batch processes all their cards at 3 a.m. So everything's at 3 a.m. But he didn't give up. He knows the exact day the card was purchased. He just doesn't know what time. Yeah, I called down to Panama City Walmart
2: and got the security kid there. And I told, I told him to send me back this date. And he did. I had to find out what video they had and what lanes they had open in Walmart and just sit and watch video, the old VHS. And I don't know if you're familiar with this stuff, but it's tedious and long and it was insane. Now I'm watching this VHS and just watching and watching and watching and then I see an individual that I saw on the other tape. No, it's Panama City. I mean, I guess the guy could come in again, you know? But it was the first time I saw the same person come through the door, the same amount of time this card was being purchased on both tapes. So then that's how I first
0: saw the guy. You see a picture of a guy, but like now, how do you attach a name to a guy, you know, that, that doesn't, you know, that you have no idea who he is.
2: Well, then the video they sent back to me also has registers. So, but I didn't know which one he went through. So then I looked at the, the time, exact time it was, and I brought the VCR, and I see what appears to be that guy going into, like, lane 13. The same guy went through the line, and I saw him that you could see, like, a calling card in a
0: bottle. And then, I guess, eventually, uh, through register records, you were able to track down his name. To pay cash, so, of course, that's another
2: thing. He's <laughs> like, oh, great, credit card, done. It's a done deal. So he paid cash. The only reason why I could really tell it was the same individual, because the grainy pictures are not real great pictures, is that he had a pair of pants on that look law enforcement with the blue stripe down the side. And to me, it looked like he had law enforcement pants on, like he was a cop somewhere.
0: Wait a minute. Law enforcement? You're telling me that the guy who's been making these calls pretending to be a cop was actually a cop? I didn't see that coming. So. I saw him coming in, I saw him in
2: line with that, but he had a pullover on, so I couldn't tell, but I saw the pants. So I thought it might be law enforcement.
0: Detective Victor Flardy hops on a plane.
2: I said, you know what, I got to go to Panama City. I just got to go down myself. The first day, we pull, you know, fly in, and about 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, we go right to the PD down there, and I got like eight detectives standing around me. I open up my laptop, and I open up the picture we cleaned up, and they go, corrections pants, like
0: they're, they're, you know, they're jails. The Panama City detectives recognized it right away. Those were not cop pants. Those were correction officer pants. The guy we're looking for must work at one of the jails. This is some great police work. I got to tell you, man, this is like a lot more intense than I even imagined, you know, because like a lot of people would have probably given up already, right?
2: Go to the first jail. Walk in and we show it to the superintendent, uh, you know, uh, of the jail. And I open up the laptop and he looks at it
0: and he goes, I go, those correction pants? He goes, yep. I go, do you know this individual? Yep. And he named him. Wow. So they bring the suspect in. His name is David Stewart. Bang. It It was him. Did you make the arrest right then and there? What are they going to charge him with? I mean, what what is this? What's the
2: crime? I mean, it was craziness. So I introduced myself, and I said to him, why would a sergeant from Massachusetts be coming down here to talk to you? First question, I still remember. playing is yesterday. And he said, oh, I have no idea, or something to that effect. And um, I asked him if he ever owned a calling card. And at that point he started to shake and he was sweating. He started to sweat and he had ties. He unclipped his tie. I still remember this to this day. And he asked me, was anybody hurt? And he then, I said, no, no one was physically hurt, mentally and what have you. I'm sure there's, you know, issues going forward. And he goes, he goes, amen, it's over. So I'm thinking, this is great.
0: He's going to admit to it. And after that, he it up and say a word. They didn't make an arrest. Massachusetts didn't know what to charge him with. Panama City couldn't arrest him because they didn't even know what crime he committed, if any.
2: What we decided to do, we went back to the Panama City uh, department
0: and we wrote search
2: warrants for his house.
0: David Stewart lived in a mobile home on a dirt road 20 miles north of Panama City. When we did the search warrant later on um, at his house, there was a calling card found um,
2: that was used in about, I don't know, seven or eight different restaurants
0: um, for, that were traced back for these calls. And police found more than just the calling cards. But what we found, too, yeah. But what
2: we found also is that he put in numerous applications for police jobs. And he had gone to some type of a college to get the, I guess, down in Florida, you actually go to school prior to being hired. So you go there and go to college and, you know, take uh, some type of a law enforcement academy And he had taken it, and I think, I can't, I won't be 100% sure, but I think he was hired, like, part-time, some small department down there at one point, and they
0: let him go, what have you. So he always wanted to be a cop. David Stewart had been working at the prison for 11 months at this point. But after Detective Flaherty came to visit, he was fired. And like I mentioned earlier, he didn't get arrested because nobody knew what to charge him with. But remember the case with Donna Summers and Louise in Part 1? the Mount Washington authorities in Kentucky drove down to Panama City, Florida and arrested David Stewart on June 30th, 2004. The only department that took him was that, who I called, and I I still
2: remember the the officer's name, Buddy Stump, I thought that was the funniest name. He was in Kentucky in a, a small county in Kentucky. Kentucky said, nope, we'll come get him. So he was arrested. And Kentucky came down and picked them up and that out of the Kentucky uh, trials.
0: David Stewart pleaded not guilty to solicitation to commit sodomy and impersonating a police officer, as well as other misdemeanor crimes like soliciting sex abuse and unlawful imprisonment. So, before I tell you how this ends, let's review the facts as we know it. More than 100 calls in a period of 12 years that have led to dozens of criminal charges for managers who picked up the phone and followed the caller's orders. Not to mention the permanent scars of sexual abuse and the humiliation of the poor employees who endured hours of abuse against their will. And detectives were able to track down the calling cards to a Walmart in Florida they tracked it down to a suspect who happened to live in a mobile home with the same cards used in the prank calls. Okay, now let's hear what the jury has to say about this. The jury found David Stewart not guilty. After hours of deliberation, they said that they just didn't have enough evidence. There were no witnesses to identify Stewart as being on the payphone where the calls originated. And there just wasn't any voice recordings to compare it to Stewart's voice. How in the world we find a calling card in your home that was used in
2: multiple other hoaxes? So that's the guy. I mean, it's
0: ridiculous. But could somebody have lived there with him and just doing it? He may have been found not guilty, but all I can say is that after his arrest, all the calls stopped. And as far as I know, they've never happened again. It wouldn't be fair to end the story here. I needed to reach out to David Stewart to get his take on all this. Maybe he wasn't the prank caller. Maybe there was a logical explanation for all this. So I looked him up and decided to give him a call. My search resulted in a string of numbers.
1: The number you have dialed is not a working number. Please check
0: the number. Most of them were disconnected, but the last one, someone picked up the phone. Hi, I'm trying to reach uh, David Stewart. Who is this? Is this David? Oh, my name's Huh? My name's Javier. Do you know how to uh do you know how I could reach David? What's your name? It's Javier. J A V I E R. V is in
2: Victor? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know David.
0: Yeah, um I was wondering you know, all right. if you wanted to uh reach him. Um do you know where I can find him?
1: I know where I can find him, <laughs> What's is in regards to?
0: Oh no, I just wanted to ask him a couple of questions, um, I'm working on a, on a project and uh wanted to see if he could, uh, help me out with it and, um, just kind of chat with him about a couple of things, but I wanted to see if I could talk with him first.
2: Yeah, well, he's not here, but I could give him your number
0: well excellent yeah you could have him reach me that that would be great uh,
2: okay what are you working on?
0: what am i working on yeah yeah i'm i'm uh I'm working on a on a story for um this this podcast that i'm working on and I thought that um maybe i that David would wanna talk to me about it,
2: about it. well uh I can pass on the information uh you know he's he calls you that's up to him but i'll pass on the information
0: are you you sure are you sure i'm not talking to david now
2: am i sure Yeah,
0: yeah
1: i think so yeah i think i'm sure yeah why
0: Oh, no, I was just wondering, because, you know, sometimes when random people call, I sometimes do that, too, where I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll pass on the message. But if if it's you, I just want to make sure, you know, I can tell you more about the project. I just don't want to tell, you know, somebody that, you know, I just want to make sure I'm talking with David before I tell more about the project.
2: No, I'm not David.
0: Now, I don't know if the man I was speaking to was David or not but he certainly knew David. But I never heard back, and I waited a week, and I decided to follow up. But this time, someone else picked up the phone.
1: Hello?
0: Hello? Hi, who who am I speaking with? Who is this? Who are you? Hi, who, who am I speaking with? Who am I speaking with? I'm uh, looking for David. There's no David. No, there is no David here. Okay. Um, so, who who am I speaking with? Oh, you, you? My name is Javier, and I'm uh, doing a story on on David Stewart, and I just wanted to get his opinion on on a story that that he was mentioned in. I just wanted to get his point of view to see how that I'm sure um, you're just as surprised as I was. But after listening to this call over and over again, I now realized that this person was communicating to me through a voice box due to a tracheostomy or something. Hello? But she didn't know a David or had any idea who I was talking about. She hung up on me and I called back. I was not expecting that. (laughs) So it was the same number I called the previous week. Very bizarre. I guess we'll just leave it at that. Next time, I'm Pretend. If you thought the last two episodes were sadistic, wait till you get a load of this.
1: You have to go into your bathroom, grab, you know, the toilet tank lid for the toilet? Okay, I'm going to grab that full tank lid, and you're going to use that to create a full oxygen clearance into the room. You're going to break that window, ma'am. Don't even worry about the window. We're going to fully reimburse you. Our insurance covers it right what? now. We whoa, need whoa, to whoa, whoa. get what? oxygen into that room, ma'am. Huh? What are you doing? Breaking the window like I'm told to do. What more? Why are you breaking the window? Because the man in the office told me the guy needs some air in here and he said to break the window. Ma'am, I just got called in
2: the middle of the night, waking up out of my bed, told to break a window and everything else in this room because there's a gas emergency. Oh, Jesus. I'm going to get fired for this.
1: No, you're not, sir.
0: That's next time I'm Pretend. I wanna give a shout out to my newest Patreon supporters. Kate Boland, Bitch. I don't even wanna know what your real name is. This one's perfect. Kelly Moorhead, Ashley Hines, Jim Hoden, Rosalind Hesby, you guys are awesome. All of you will be receiving a screen printed pretend shirt in the mail very soon. And a holographic pretend sticker because I'm futuristic like that. If you wanna support the show, go to pretendradio.org and click the donate button. My Patreon supporters get a separate feed, completely ad-free, and they usually get episodes a week ahead of everyone else. Plus, this is where I put all my bonus content, like interviews that didn't make it into the show. Also, we're nowhere near done with this prank series. This was supposed to be the last episode in the series, but then something crazy happened. While I was trick-or-treating with my kids, a prank caller I've been hunting down started texting me. And the next day, We hopped on the phone and talked for more than two hours. Our conversation was fascinating, and I can't wait for you to listen. Okay, that's all I have for now. Thank you for listening to the show. It's growing like crazy, and that means that you guys are spreading the word. So keep doing that. It's so hard for a quality indie show like this to survive. Let's see how long we could keep this little show going. Today's episode was written and produced by me, It was edited by the talented Molly Brock and theme music by Joel Basile with TheChicken.net. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. Okay, guys, until next time. Creative Babble.